There is a crucial element of our lives that many of us are just ignoring. The wreckage of our denial is visible all around us, and it's time to start paying attention. Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about learning how to live life with Jesus. This is episode 14, God Wants You to Be Emotional. A while ago, I got this awkward phone call. I was at work. On the other end of the line was this teenager who was at my house mowing my lawn. He was working off a debt. Anyway, he told me the lawnmower was running rough. It was running badly. He thought it needed oil. He said he'd found some oil in the garage, but he asked me where the oil went in on the lawnmower. And then there was this long, awkward pause on the phone. You know, I I don't know. I mean, it's not a two-stroke engine, so you don't mix the oil with the gas. At least I I think you don't. And then I started thinking, I mean, I've had this mower for a long time, and I've been mowing with it for a long time, and I have been cursing at it and kicking it and yelling at it for not running well, and I don't think I've ever put in oil. I wasn't much help, so... He did some online research, and yes, indeed, you're supposed to add oil. He even figured out how to do it and where. But here's the bigger problem. Like I said, I've been mowing with this mower for a long time. I've been frustrated at how the mower runs, even threatened it with violence a few times, but I've never added oil. It never even occurred to me. I'm not an engine guy, clearly. I had a mower. I put gas in it. It was mostly working. That's fine, right? This is how many of us approach our lives and our faith. It's all mostly working, right? But there's a vital element of personal maintenance that some of us just aren't taking care of. The longer we ignore this part of our lives, the more damage we do to ourselves and to others. In the Gospel of Matthew, a guy came up to Jesus and asked him a really important question. He said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? That matters. What does God care about most? Where should we be investing our time and our energy so that our lives are most in alignment with the divine? Here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said the most important thing was to love God with all you are and have. And Jesus suggests that we do that in four aspects of our lives. We love through our relationships with the people around us. How we love other humans is part of how we love God. We love God with our minds. That's our thoughts, our beliefs, our learning, our understanding. I'm good at that one. I like deep thoughts. I like learning theology. I like reading books and thinking this stuff through. But that's not all. We love God with our soul. I think that includes our sense of identity, our purpose, our direction. This is the part of us that makes choices and our choices are one of the ways we express love for God. But Jesus also mentions our heart, our inner self. That part of us, our inner life, is who we authentically are in our deepest places. This includes something absolutely vital to your spiritual growth, but something that we often overlook as a part of the spiritual life. I mean, frankly, most churches, many teachers don't talk about it at all, or maybe only talk about it negatively. So what's this missing piece? Our emotions. I grew up in a faith community that seemed to see emotions as almost always bad. 
Emotional desires were the root of our temptations. Visible emotional expression could be uh, the evidence of immaturity. Emotions were the source of drama and controversy. I was taught that our emotions could entice us, tempt us, lead us away from God and from the truth. If we were going to be faithful Christians, then we needed to learn how to manage our emotions, right? Contain them, tamp them down. Did you grow up with those stories? I know a lot of people did. And so parents and pastors, they would warn us against following our emotions. Now there's justifiable concern there, isn't there? I mean, can't you remember a time where your emotions, what you felt or wanted or desired, led you into bad decisions with painful consequences? I sure can. Now, on top of that, if you experienced trauma as a child, like me and so many other people, then it got engraved on your heart that emotions can be dangerous. See, emotions are powerful. They're often messy. They can confuse us. So it's not a surprise when we talk about being a good person or a spiritual person or a mature person, we don't talk about emotions all that much. That's a bad idea. See, here's the truth. God didn't just create us as beings of pure reason who happen to be burdened down by the glandular effects of irrational emotion for the duration of this physical life. That's not God's plan. God created us as whole beings, body, spirit, emotions, mind, and all of that was made in God's image and declared good. That includes your emotions. Did you catch that? Your emotions are made in God's image too. Now, I know that for most of us, our mental picture of God doesn't leave a lot of room for emotion. Right? God's perfect. Emotions don't feel perfect. They feel raw and ragged, vulnerable. God's unchanging. But emotions they feel fickle, right? They come and go, they burst in on us, they change. God makes clear decisions. Our emotions often cloud things up. God doesn't give preferential treatment. Emotions always seem to lead us to love certain people better than other people. Our experience of emotion doesn't seem very much like what we picture of God. And so when we imagine God, we strip away all of the emotional stuff. But what does that leave us? It leaves us with an idea of God that is stony, implacable. You know, that classic philosophical unmoved mover God, distant, maybe even cold. But see, that is not the picture of God painted in Scripture, not at all. The Bible is full of language that describes God in emotional terms, sometimes embarrassingly so. Here's a few quick examples. Psalm 7040 says that God grieved when Israel rebelled, grieving. That's the emotion of sadness. Deuteronomy 134, Deuteronomy 134 tells us that God got angry when the people refused to enter the promised land out of fear. Anger. Well, that's the emotion you feel when something you love is threatened. Exodus 34:14 says that God experiences jealousy. That's the emotional response of having an important relationship threatened. 1 Kings 3:10 tells us that when Solomon chose to ask God for wisdom, God was pleased by that request. Well, being pleased is an emotional reaction. That's the emotional response of satisfaction. Just a couple more. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God takes great delight in us and rejoices over us. Rejoices. That's not calm. That's not a rational thought. Rejoicing is when you feel and express joy. Isaiah 54.7 says that God experiences profound compassion for people that are lost and broken. Compassion. That's the emotional response of identifying with someone, feeling with them, 
and wanting good for them as a result. That's just a handful of examples. I could have shared hundreds. And each of these refers to God as having a powerful emotional experience. We haven't even talked about Jesus yet. Now, some people, they struggle with the idea of God having emotions, right? God, the big power, the force behind the universe, the Father, the Creator. God seems pretty abstract, and so the idea that God would have emotions seems odd or strange, or like maybe something we're projecting onto God. But when we come to Jesus, it's a lot easier, right? Jesus was a guy, he was a person like us with the body and glands and all the equipment that makes for emotional experiences. So it's a lot easier for people to accept that Jesus had emotions. Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. He experienced real grief at the death of a friend, just like you and I feel. Jesus celebrated when his disciples came back from their first successful mission. He showed happiness, zeal, passion. Several times it seems like he showed frustration when his friends or disciples didn't understand him or didn't trust him. He became indignant when his disciples tried to keep little children away from him. Indignant, that is a kind of anger. And that's not the only time Jesus was angry. Jesus got angry, expressively angry, flipping the tables over angry with the priests and the merchants who were turning the temple into a mall and standing in the way of people coming to worship God. Jesus was moved by compassion for people in need, the blind, the lepers, those who were wandering aimlessly. Jesus experienced the weight of loneliness and isolation in the garden and on the cross. Read that passage of the garden in Matthew 26, I dare you, read it. This is not some stoic guru Jesus pushing forward because it's just the right thing to do. That passage is tense with emotional energy, loneliness, frustration, maybe depending on how you read the passage, even fear, when he asks his father if the cup can pass from him. Jesus was emotional. And here's the thing. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus made this claim too in John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if those claims are true, then what we see in Jesus is a representation of what we can expect from God. Jesus felt these gut-level feelings, and Scripture says Jesus was an exact representation of God. So why does this matter? Well, Ephesians 4 says that God's project in your life and mine is to grow us up in the image of Christ. That is the heart of what this life is about. So if becoming more godly, becoming more like Christ is what we're shooting for, then what we believe about God becomes incredibly important. If we believe that God can't relate to our emotions, if we believe that God doesn't feel pain or sadness or anger, if, if we believe that God's detached and unapproachable, and we believe that we're supposed to become more like God, where does that leave us? You see, the only assumption left is that growing spiritually must mean becoming less and less emotional. The more mature you are, the less emotional you'll be. That's the belief most people hold. But this view, it's a problem. This view has catastrophic impact on so many aspects of our lives. You see, think about some of the crises that we experience. Divorce. Divorce doesn't usually happen because people don't know enough about what a good marriage looks like. It happens because of emotional immaturity or brokenness. Church splits don't usually happen because of theological disagreements. Not really. Dig beneath the surface and you will find emotional immaturity. 
you'll find people who don't know how to have conflict in a healthy way, people that are codependent, people who are bitter and frustrated because they've been hurt and don't have the tools to deal with it. Almost every time that's true. People don't get caught up in affairs or addicted to pornography or other risky behavior because they're feeling too much and following their emotions down the path of temptation. That's a lie. They get caught up in those things because they are desperately trying to feel something. Or maybe because they want to feel something other than pain. Many churches, many Christian teachers have attempted to help people grow with tools that you're familiar with. Bible studies and behavioral management programs and volunteering and sermons telling people to do the right thing because it's the right thing. That's a bit like trying to deal with an iceberg problem by painting warning signs on the tip of the iceberg. The part of the iceberg that's dangerous is the part you can't see. It's the part beneath the water. That is what sinks passing ships. Pete Scazzaro uses this image of an iceberg to help us visualize the importance of attending to our inner life. If we want to mature in the image of Christ, we've got to deal with the part of the iceberg that is submerged. We won't mature in the image of Christ until we start learning how to grow emotionally. That means your emotions are not a sin. They're not a failure of God's perfect design. They're not a weakness to be powered through. They're not a flaw. Emotions are an integral part of who we are. They have an important role. Emotions help us prioritize. They're one of the building blocks of intuition. Most importantly, emotions are designed to move us. That's what they do. They help us go beyond data and reflection and propel us to take action. We know this intuitively. Right when parents tell kids not to make emotional choices or not to make a decision in the backseat of a car, parents are afraid of the power of emotion to move their kids to act in short-sighted ways. But that's exactly what emotions are meant to do. They're meant to move us. Now, it's true that immature or broken or unprocessed emotion can move us to act in inappropriate or dangerous ways. You've experienced that. I have. We all have. But healthy, mature emotions do just the opposite. They help us do the right thing. They help us act with courage. They help us stick up for other people. They lead us to serve others. They lead us to act in love. I mean, think. Think for a moment about all the crazy things, the good kind of crazy, that followers of Jesus do. People who pack up their families and move to a tiny village in rural China or Venezuela where they don't even speak the language on the hope that they might be able to help people. Other people who make a choice to radically change their lifestyle so that they can have more financial resources in order to help others. Families who adopt just one more child because they have the room or who invite a homeless person into their lives. People that are shockingly generous. People who have offered transcendent forgiveness when they've been violated. In the church, we often celebrate people who do these things as models of godly obedience. But when you get inside their story, when you hear them explain why they did what they did, they don't usually say they did the right thing because it was the right thing. They don't usually talk about doctrine or philosophy or theology. When it comes right down to it, people do difficult and good things because they are powerfully emotionally moved. And that is why God gave us our emotions. That is their purpose, to move us to move us forward in life, even to move us toward maturity in Christ. This is the missing piece in most Christian discipleship. It's a thing we don't talk about in church, but should. 
Emotional immaturity is the single largest obstacle to spiritual growth. Unprocessed grief, reactivity from trauma, some kinds of depression, emotional numbness, addiction, things like this clog up our emotions and make it hard for you to hear from God. Emotional immaturity makes it harder to handle conflict. It makes it hard to take criticism. It even makes it hard to take responsibility for our actions because we're so busy defending ourselves so that we don't feel emotional discomfort. Living disconnected from our own emotions makes it hard to connect with other people. That leads to difficult relationships. That leads to broken intimacy. It leads to marriages that are unhappy and parenting relationships that are dysfunctional. You see, every part of our lives is impacted by emotional immaturity. When Jesus was asked what mattered most to God, he told us to love God with all we are and have. How can we possibly love God and others with our whole hearts if we don't pursue emotional competence and maturity? Your emotions are made in God's image. God gave them to you with a purpose, even though we all relate to our emotions differently. If you're wired up as a more emotional person, then your job is to learn how to handle and express those emotions in a godly way so that your emotions can lead you to wisdom. If you're wired up as a more rational person, maybe you just think of yourself as not that emotional, well, your job is to learn how to listen to your emotions and trust that God may have an experience for you that is beyond your spreadsheets and lists of pros and cons. Regardless of our relationship with emotions, we are all invited to grow in Christ. That means maturing spiritually, and that includes maturing in our emotions. In the ancient book of Psalms, the heart is often portrayed as the place we hear God speak. Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, challenge us this way. They say, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. A hard heart has a hard time hearing God's voice. But God promised we can grow past numbness, past resistance and fear, and all the other noise of our inner world. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God made this promise. God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that feels, a heart like God's. May you find renewed motivation to look under the surface of your life and the courage to seek emotional maturity everything else in your life is depending on it. Thanks for listening. Almost 18 months ago, my little book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions, hit the bookstore shelves. Man, that was a dream come true for me. Well, I'm so excited to be sharing with you the news that the audiobook is finally completed and will be available in just a few weeks. Through the month of March, the podcast will be focusing on this aspect of our spiritual lives, our inner world, and our emotions. I'd like to repeat my big ask from the last episode. If you're one of those folks who lives on social media and you'd like to be a part of helping spread the message about the wisdom of your heart and the new audiobook that's available, I still have room for you on my launch team. It's a short commitment, just six weeks through the month of March and the first two weeks of April. And there are a variety of easy ways you can help get the word out. Email me at mark at markallenshelsky.com. I'll put the email address on the screen for the video and in the notes for the podcast. Email me if you want to be a part. I've got all kinds of graphics and quotes that you can share. We're going to be spreading the news on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And if you love those places and you interact in those places, then I would love to have your help getting this message out. 
I'd also be grateful if you would take a moment to rate or review this podcast. It only takes a minute or two to go to iTunes or the podcast app, write a brief two-sentence review about why you think this podcast is worth people's time. Those four or five-star ratings and those reviews help other people discover the podcast, and that, that grows the podcast and helps us get the message further to more people. And always, you'll find the show notes for today's episode, including all the scriptures and links I just mentioned at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW014. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, you are not alone.